0: Right, we, you want to do the clap okay. above your head? You like doing that?
1: No, I just was trying to be like you.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> who can blame you? <laughs> Ready to go? We'll just do it. Or do you want to do it? Welcome to Saturday Night, guys. Uh, we're going to play a game. Um, I've got Katie here, and uh, you're going to try and guess this song. I got you, Moonlight, Starlight. Uh, hang on. I forget it. And you, Moonlight. Night, starlight, levitating. I need you. Yep. All yeah. night. Come, Come on, on, dance, dance with please. us. I'm na- levitating. Yes, I'm levitating. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> We are here on the pastel party bench today. So you've got the purple, the pink, and the green, Woohoo! and I have Anna in the green. Hello, how Hello. are you? I would and say blue, but that's blue. Ooh.
2: Yeah. My family do think that I have a funny style of colour. What colour
0: do you say that is, Katie? Uh, Welcome aqua? to the panel. Oh, thank you, thank you. Or maybe I'd like an aquamarine. Like
1: aqua it's like a pastel aqua.
0: Okay, like a mint green. I'm happy. I'm happy to agree with that. <laughs> and is yours purple? Yes. Okay, good. It's Lilac.
1: nice It's my second favourite colour.
0: What's your first?
1: A light blue. Okay. Like sky blue.
0: <laughs> and what's your third?
1: I don't have a third.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's my first, it's my second, it's my fifth. Uh, well, that's what you were going to say. Uh, Katie, how are you today?
1: I'm pretty good, Joel. That's good. How
0: are you? Good. Your mask removal went okay. You were worried about the head man, but yeah. it seemed to work out okay. I was
1: stressed, but yeah. it, was, it was smooth.
0: How's the stress now? <laughs> Come. How's your week been?
1: Yeah, pretty good. Just been working and doing uni and wedding planning and planning a murder mystery.
0: Uh, like a real one? or
1: <laughs> No, for youth group we're doing um, a murder mystery, or wait, we will have already done. <laughs> we have done, you have done, you just got a little bit confused, but you have
0: already done a murder mystery. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: yes we have, mm-hmm. and it was Fantastic.
0: I meant <laughs> excellent work well done katie must have been all your planning good job uh any uh, murder mysteries planned for you there no Anna?
2: no we've been for f- for a few years we've been doing a lot of cahoots and scavenger oh, hunts yes. and they are fantastic the kids we've planned for an hour and we just seem to stay on for an extra half an hour or so because it's That's just so great. much
0: fun <laughs> that's really cool I, um, I actually We've started doing them For our community group Because was online So we started doing that And it really makes it A lot more fun Than just going Okay guys Let's look into the screen And tell me What this says About the Bible mm. So it's a, yep. yeah, it makes it A lot more fun So I can understand why it Opens the,
2: up the conversation To yep. a broader range Of things
0: Yeah that's awesome cool. Excellent Well uh, This is the pastel party You've joined <laughs> Join the pastel party tonight We are going to be back soon With of course Another one of our Pastel friends. So
2: <laughs> hello, and it's great to be back. I have a very special visitor with us, Lionel. Who have you brought today? I brought my mum. Hi, Hi mum. Hi, Lionel. Everyone say hello to Lionel's mum. Please call me Brenda. Brenda. Hello, oh, Mrs. Brenda. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Lionel. Oh, Mrs. Lionel. But D- only my mother-in-law is Mrs. Lionel. will oh, tell us something about yourself, Brenda. Well,
1: I love coffee and silence. Yes, you do! Where's my coffee?
3: Oh. Hello! Oh, fuck. Clean up! <laughs> grime everywhere!
2: Okay, and Coffee Grime. And what's it like having Lionel as a son? Well
3: Fantastic! Um, Great! He's pretty good. All the time. Only on the weekends. <laughs> Best days.
1: He only cleans on the weekends, which means his room is a disgrace the other days.
2: Oh, that doesn't sound very good, Lionel. But I know where everything is.
1: Do you really? Yes. Oh, wait, sorry. Honey. Yes. You have a tough sticking up. Let me, let me get it.
3: No, Mum, no. Come on. Not on the
2: YouTube. Hey, no, we talked about this. But Brenda, I've heard that you've introduced a new rule at home. Uh, Yes, yes I did. Tell us about it.
1: Well, I decided that in order for us to have a clean house, we are going to clean for 10 minutes a day, every day.
3: Oh. On the weekends!
1: No, every day, Lionel!
3: On the weekends! On the weekends, on the weekends! No, Lionel, you've,
2: you've been doing this 10, ten minutes every day. I what's, love to clean on the weekends! What's your room like during the week now that you've been cleaning every day? 10 minutes?
3: Um, I haven't. <laughs> I forgot. But I only do it on the weekends!
2: Why on the weekends? Why don't you do it all the time? Yeah, Anna. Yeah, Lionel. Because,
3: because on the weekend it's fun and I don't want to throw out my stuff.
1: But, but, Lionel, what's next week?
3: Pancake day.
1: No, I'll give you a clue. It starts with a B and ends with a Y.
3: Um, buddy day.
1: No!
2: It's somebody's birthday next week. It's Lionel's! Oh! <laughs> oh, yeah, it's my birthday, <laughs>
3: mum. Yeah. How old are you going to be? Uh, I don't know. How old am I, mum?
4: <laughs> um, I don't know either.
1: <laughs> um, so, it's Lionel's birthday. If you don't want to get new, rid of your old stuff, there's no room for your new, better stuff. I'll give you a clue of what you're getting. Actually, I'll just tell Anna. Anna, come here.
2: <laughs> What am I getting? What you, am I getting? You are going to love it so much, Lionel. What is it? I don't know if there's room in your bedroom for it, though.
3: What do I need to get rid of? My old bottles of Mr. Sheen?:
1: You need to get rid of all the old stuff you don't really use or need anymore.: Can I keep for my Lego stuff? Do,
3: do I get to keep my Lego:
1: Well, there might be some new Lego, I'm not saying.
3: But Tim told me and showed me how to use the instructions.
2: Well, I think that if you want something new, you might need to get rid of the things that take up a lot of space. Yeah, what
3: Anna said. Okay.
2: Out with the old, in with the new. The better, the better! It is gonna be better. I'm very
1: present-getting!
2: You've gotta trust your mum that she knows.
3: It's the weekend, so I can do it on the weekend! Oh, he's uh,
2: incorrigible! That's a big
3: word. I don't know right. what that means, but thank you!
2: That's fantastic. It was so lovely to have you on, Brenda. Oh, yes, it's I'm great to have coffee, you. Anna. We are going to hear from the Bible. So if you have a Bible, it'd be great to pull it out now. I've and got one in
3: my room somewhere.
2: Oh, my goodness. You should definitely keep that one, though, Lionel.
3: It's not that old, so yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Bible!
5: reading is hebrews 8:1-13 now the main point of what we are saying is this we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the lord not by mere human beings every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer if he were on earth he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven this is why moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain but in fact the ministry jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant on which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days of coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hands to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest for i will forgive their wickedness and i remember their sins no more by calling the covenant new he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear
0: Back, everyone. Thank you very much to John for reading that uh, Bible passage for us. And uh, we are joined now by Senior Pastor Stu Crawshaw. How are you?
6: Hello, good. That's Hi, good. everyone.
0: Uh, Katie is here with us, and we're going to chat about what you're going to bring to us from the Bible today, Stu. Um, you want to talk about one of your favorite biblical characters?
6: Terrific. Yes, we're going to be looking at Melchizedek today, and we're going to look at how Jesus is like Melchizedek. So it's really interesting, actually, because right through Hebrew so far, We've been seeing that uh, Jesus is contrasted as better to Moses, better to Aaron, better to better than the angels, but today we're going to see how Jesus is like Melchizedek. So that's interesting. So chapter eight, we're going to see what we get out of that.
0: I was actually, I think I was reading, uh, I can't remember. If it was chapter seven or was chapter eight, but there was a reference mm. to um, Melchizedek in uh, Genesis. Which yes, surprise that. Do you want to yes, just um, to look at? Look at look yeah, at that? we're going to look at that today.
6: So we're going to have a bit of a look at the story of Melchizedek and see why the writer of the Hebrews is using him in this context. What we're going to see is that, uh, unlike all the other priests of Israel that come from Levi, uh, Aaron is uh, like the the priest of uh, the people of Israel, the high priest that Moses chose, but. Um, melchizedek predates him so mm. it'll be interesting to go back to genesis 14 he's also mm. referenced in psalm 110 and interestingly the commentaries around uh, melchizedek outside of the bible are really interesting too because that is something that we might uh understand chapter eight a bit better if we get a bit of a sense of that so there's a book called to enoch and there's also some writings in the dead sea scrolls that are interesting so yeah we're going to have a bit of fun today yeah, looking cool. at who melchizedek is yeah. uh, katie have you been reading hebrews
1: yeah, I have been. I've been doing the Bible Project's Jesus is Better yep. um, Bible plan on yep. the new version. Yeah, me too. Um, I watched the Bible Project video on Melchizedek in the, a couple of days ago and it was super interesting. I was, I was really, really excited by learning more about him today because just that little snippet in that video, I was like, oh, he seems really cool. So I'm excited.
0: What, uh, is there anything that stood out to you most about him?
1: Just that he was um, a priest and a king, and that dual position, and which are both um, really important and respect like a respectful position like people look up to yep. them, and that contrast with Jesus being the same as Melchizedek but the ultimate high priest and king was super epic. Yep. And so, I think, yeah, just th- that dual role where we hadn't heard of anyone besides him having that dual role. And so I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, sure. I'm sure you're going to touch on that mm. anyway, too. So I'll mm. let you take it away and we're looking forward to what you have to say. Terrific. Thanks. All
6: right. Well, today we're going to be looking at Melchizedek because we're going to be seeing how Jesus is like Melchizedek. And the big point of the passage today is going to be that Jesus is bringing in something new. And so we're going to look at how that is the case. Uh, The question I'm going to ask us today too is just to think about how much do we embrace the new that Jesus brings us? I mean, as a church at Soul Revival Church, we use the phrase, Jesus changes everything. How much are we willing to let Jesus change us? That might be a good question for us to ask up front. Because things change and new things come. And here in the passage, we're going to be looking at how the Old Testament old covenant has been replaced by Jesus by a new covenant and here the writer is encouraging the Hebrews not to go back to the old covenant or not think of uh, that uh, as their framework anymore but to think of a new framework and a new life lived to the full in the new covenant that only Jesus can bring. Now just to illustrate that to begin with I thought I might share a brief story of a time of change that I went through when I was young. Now, I'm going to go right back to the late 1970s, early 1980s, before the movie BMX Bandits came out. (laughs) Now, for some of you younger crew here, you might be like looking, thinking far out, what's he talking about BMX Bandits for? Well, BMX Bandits eventually led to australia winning a medal at the olympics in bmx bmx started in the early 80s and it was a massive revolution at one stage bmx bikes haven't been around forever they were like a new bike style that came in in the late 70s Um, before the before the bmx came in there was a bike called the chopper (laughs) and the chopper was (laughs) basically a push bike that was styled on like a a 1970s Harley Davidson with big handlebars with a really long seat and my chopper actually was green and it had the big handlebars and a really long seat and it had a really big bar up the back and I used to ride around the (laughs) streets like I was on a chopper and it had a a three-speed automatic gear shift in the middle. I thought it was the height of... Uh, push bike technology at the time there was, <laughs> was nothing better but then the world changed and this old style bike looked completely old fashioned compared to this new style it came in which was the BMX now most of us are fairly familiar with what a BMX looks like it's a tight little framed bike and um it became all the rage and so basically everyone who was riding around on the old choppers were in the old covenant that was the old bike and that was like this old thing that you had to move to the new covenant the bmx and so um i was pretty keen to get myself a new bmx and i remember going to my parents and saying uh mum and dad there's this kid at school who's got a bmx bike that he's selling can i buy it off him And my dad said, oh, are you sure it's a BMX bike? They're pretty brand new. They're very expensive. And I said, oh, this is really cheap. It's only 25 bucks. And dad said, are you sure a BMX bike could be that cheap? Are you sure it's a BMX bike? And I went back to my mate and I had a look at the bike. And what I worked out was he would basically put some BMX handlebars on an old chopper, taken the seat off and put a new seat on it. And he hadn't even done it very well. I actually got the bars and it moved and it wasn't very tight. And but anyway, I was so passionate about having this new covenant of the BMX bike that I said to mum and dad, I really need to buy this bike. Now I shouldn't have bought it because When I bought it, I was riding around on a bike that was like this Frankenstein's monster of a chopper (laughs) and a BMX. And the two things had come together and the guy just got a spray can and sprayed an old chopper and put some new handlebars and a seat on it. And so as I rode around, I'm looking at the other BMX bikes going, actually, I'm not actually in this new thing. I've got this hybrid of this old thing and a new thing. Anyway, the reason I bring that story up is Jesus is brand new. He is a new covenant. Better than a BMX bike. (laughs) Better than a gold medal at the Olympics on a BMX bike. Jesus' new covenant is so far superior to the old covenant that the people of Israel were living under that here the writer of the Hebrews is saying, don't be putting together a Frankenstein's monster of two um, different covenants into one. Don't try and uh, bring the old covenant into the new covenant and spray it and put a new handlebar on it and a new seat and think that you're in the new covenant you actually need to leave the old and come to the new. Now to illustrate that, he's going to show us that Jesus is so brand new that he's actually a completely new kind of high priest. Now we talked about the high priest Jesus a few weeks ago in our series. Earlier in Hebrews, we're introduced to the concept that Jesus is our high priest and that he offers sacrifices for us that are superior to the sacrifices of the the high priest Aaron. In other words, in the old covenant, they used to have to sacrifice an animal every year for the sins of the people on what was called Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, there was actually this um, theological framework stressed that there is a, a concept called penal substitutionary atonement. It's very central to the Christian faith that uh, sin, actually penal, means uh, refers to uh, the fact that there needs to be punishment for sin. Substitutionary is that there is a substitutionary um, sacrifice in our place, and atonement is that that um, that sacrifice is actually going to help us to uh, be right with God. The atonement is the atonement. We are at one with God after we've had our sins forgiven because they uh, require. Uh, punishment, And so Jesus actually lays his life down for us and is punished on the cross for our sins. And so you see that penal substitutionary atonement in Jesus as different to the... The killing of an animal once a year that needs to be repeated year after year for the punishment of the people's sin, so that they may be forgiven they used to celebrate that sacrifice year after year how much more do we celebrate the sacrifice of jesus once and for all on the cross so here's a great high priest who offers himself as a sacrifice now that's what we were introduced to at the beginning of hebrews what we're looking at today is uh, the writer is going to go deeper into that Idea of Jesus as a great high priest. And here in chapter 8, verse 1, he starts with this. He says, Now, the main point of what we are saying is this we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves the same in the same sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Now, the concept that's going to be spoken about here is the kind of high priest that Jesus is, is yes, he does offer the sacrifices for the people in uh, us, all those who put our faith in Jesus. He, uh, His sacrifice can actually atone for our sins if we repent of our sin and say that we're sorry to God for what we have done wrong. Jesus pays the penalty for us rather than us having to pay the penalty for our own sin. And we are forgiven and we can celebrate that. And the interesting thing here is that the detail in chapter 8, verse 1, is that after Jesus dies on the cross, he rises from the dead. Unlike the animals that were sacrificed year after year who remain dead, Jesus rises from the dead. And here the detail is that he sits at the right hand of the throne in majesty in heaven, right hand of God on the throne in majesty in heaven. And this concept of Jesus reigning and coming to life again is, uh, means that despite the fact that we die if we put our faith in Jesus we too can live and the great thing here is we see this great high priest who uh, is sitting at the right hand of God on the throne in heaven now the interesting thing is when he says in chapter 8 verse 1 we do have such a high priest obviously he's referring to that concept that Jesus is a high priest who's offered himself as a sacrifice risen from the dead and then ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Although he's also referring to something else, which he's already spoken about earlier in chapter seven, Hebrews chapter seven, verse one. Now this is where we come to uh, the the writer of the Hebrews comparing Jesus to Melchizedek. So let's have a read of that. In chapter seven, verse one, we read that Melchizedek was a king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name of Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem. And Salem means king of peace. In verse 3 he goes on to say, Without father or mother, without genealogy, this is referring to Melchizedek, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains A priest forever. So, this is pretty high praise of this character called Melchizedek. Well, who is Melchizedek? Uh, As we were saying earlier, he's first uh, mentioned in Genesis chapter 14. And the writer of the Hebrews is actually retelling the story of Hebrews 14 to help us to meet this character of Melchizedek, who would have been very familiar to the people who were listening and reading, reading the letter and listening to the letter being read the letter of Hebrews. So if we dive back to Genesis 14, this is the story that is told uh, that the writer of Hebrews has been summarizing. Basically in Genesis 14, uh, the Canaanite kings of the land were invaded by four kings of the east. And the four kings of the east invade Canaan at a time where Abram, Abraham rather, and his nephew Lot were living in the land. Now Lot was living with his family at Sodom. And the four kings of the east come in and conquer much of the canaanite territory and take off uh, people from the land and plunder from the land including lot and his family so abram, abram hears that lot has been um taken and so he goes and raises up all the men that he can in a large army as large as he can raise and he attacks the four kings of the east in order to liberate lot and he does and he succeeds And what we get in chapter 17 of Genesis 14 is what happens next. So after Abram has attacked the four kings of the east and rescued his nephew Lot and their family, this is what we read in verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kendomar, the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavesh in the king's valley. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now there's a few things to bring out of that story that are quite interesting. First of all, this king of Salem, Melchizedek, is a king and a priest. So he's kind of like a type pointing us to the kind of uh, ministry that Jesus is going to have because Jesus is a king and he is a priest. So that's an interesting thing to note. Also, Melchizedek is king of Salem. Now, some people debate where Salem was. Some people think Salem was actually Jerusalem. But whether that is the case or not, the king of Salem is this Melchizedek. Now he comes out and Abram comes to him. And there we see in the passage that Abram actually gives him a tithe. So he gives him part of the plunder that he took from the four kings of the east. And in return for the the tithe, he is given a blessing by Melchizedek. Now interestingly, he seems to be able to give the blessing because he's described as a priest of God most high and when he blesses Abram he blesses him in the name of the God most high blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth and praise be to the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand now interestingly this Melchizedek is a priest of the God most high who's the creator of heaven and earth before Moses instituted the Levitical priesthood through Aaron Which would be the priesthood of the old covenant, the priesthood of the people of Israel. So Melchizedek is not a member of the people of Israel, because remember, the people of Israel come from Abram, who will become Abraham. So this is before the people of Israel, and yet we see Melchizedek a priest of the Most High God. Now that has caused many people to wonder wow, what is the relationship of Melchizedek to God? How did he come about? How did he become a priest? And so during the intervening time between Genesis 14 and, and the writing of the Hebrews, you see uh, a, a search for meaning in terms of who is this Melchizedek. And you you see that in Psalm 110 as David considers Melchizedek. And obviously God reveals to him some stuff about Melchizedek in Psalm 110. Now Psalm 110 is one of the most important Psalms in the Bible, and it is the most oft-quoted Psalm in the New Testament. And so let's have a look at Psalm 110 and see what it says to us about who this Melchizedek is there. Well, this is what the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet that's interesting because that's picking up some of the theme of Genesis 14 where Melchizedek says to Abram God delivered your enemies into your hands it wasn't the act of your own hand that's interesting but here there's a looking forward not a looking back there's a prediction of a coming one who will sit at the right hand whose enemies will be made a footstool and obviously that's a pointer to Jesus The writer of the Hebrews is picking that up in chapter 7 when he says that he ascended onto high and in chapter 8 as well of Hebrews. Let's read on. Psalm 110 verse 2. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Array in your holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's wound. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are my priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand and he will crush kings on this day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from the brook along the way and he will also lift your head up high. Now, the interesting phrases here that I want to draw our attention to is that, first of all, God is speaking not to David, but to one who sits at his right hand. And this is a direct reference to Jesus that the writer of the Hebrews has picked up, that the high priest Jesus is ascended on high after he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He sits on high at the right-hand side of God on his throne in heaven. And also, interestingly, this one who sits on the throne will be like the priest Melchizedek, who is in his order. Now, what is happening here in Psalm 110 And what will take place in Hebrews 7 and 8 is that Jesus is not a priest like Aaron of the people of Israel, a high priest who is a Levite. Rather, Jesus is a high priest who is higher than Aaron, who is better than Aaron, who is like Melchizedek, who existed beforehand. Now again, in order to understand that a bit more, let's think a bit more about what people were saying about Melchizedek Uh, at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews. And we are very blessed to actually have some evidence of some commentaries that were written by the Jewish people that commentated on the Genesis account and on Psalm 110. And because Melchizedek is such a mysterious figure, the Jewish people who wrote these ideas down were trying to, I think, fill in the gaps for themselves on what they think they would like to think Melchizedek was. Now, there was interesting evidence of this sort of thought Coming from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were written between 50 BC and 50 AD, so not long before the book of Hebrews. And there's actually a Dead Sea Scroll uh, that was come from a community called Qumran that was found in a cave by a shepherd boy in the 50s, the 1950s, they found these jars full of uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. They call them Dead Sea Scrolls because it was in this area of the Dead Sea. And this community called Qumran were writing down a commentary on Genesis fourteen, and they've actually written a scroll called that we now call Eleven Q Melchizedek, because that scroll's actually about Melchizedek, and the number eleven was given to it because they found it in Cave eleven of these caves where uh, these scrolls were. Now, what were these scrolls of the Qumran community doing in caves in the Dead Sea? Well. We think what happened was that when the Romans came through in 72 AD and wiped out the people of Israel, the Qumran community hid their writings in caves and they were only discovered in the 1950s. And in one of these scrolls that they hid, they wrote a commentary on Genesis 14 about Melchizedek. And this is what they wrote. They've written this in three columns, apparently on the scroll. And um, they've written that their commentary on Melchizedek is that he is actually a priest that appears from heaven. So because there's not a lot of detail about this king of Salem from chapter 14 of Genesis, where he comes from, they kind of make it up. Well, they do. They make it up. They th- like to think he would come from heaven. Almost, uh, they thought, as a general from the heavenly armies, he was visibly representing God to Abram, so they considered him straight from heaven as an angel, a- angelic um, head of an army and the redeemer of the people of god and he makes an appearance to abram on yom kippur which is the day of atonement so they're trying to connect melchizedek with this idea of atonement that we spoke about earlier they also call him el Ohim, or El, meaning god is with us and so that's the commentary that the people of the dead sea scrolls were saying about Melchizedek at the time or just before the time of writing of Hebrews but that's not the only commentary that's outside the Bible that was being written at the time. There was also a Jewish commentary called To Enoch and To Enoch is what we call a midrash or a commentary on Genesis chapter 5 and following. Now Genesis chapter 5 there's the story of the flood and the story of Noah and the descendants of Noah all the way up to Abraham and what the Uh, writer of 2 Enoch does is he likes to imagine that Melchizedek was actually pre-existing before the flood and that he was a brother of Noah. They made that up. That's not actually out of the Bible. And they've written about 73 chapters describing uh, this story of Melchizedek. And again, they've got this um, otherworldly view of Melchizedek. He's like this heavenly person. And the idea in 2 Enoch is that Gabriel takes this Melchizedek To heaven during the flood, and then after the flood, he comes back to return to start a priesthood. Now, that's not what actually happened. Again, that was just an imagination of the Jewish writers at the time. Another one that's imagined too is by a Jewish writer called Philo, and he writes on Melchizedek. And he mentions Melchizedek in four of his different works, so he sees him as quite a predominant character. Uh, What that says to us is that. Lots of people at the time of the writing of Hebrews would have heard all these different ideas that were being circulating about Melchizedek and Philo's contribution to that was that he called him the king of peace because Salem uh, means peace. So if Melchizedek is the king of Salem, then he's the king of peace, God's own priest. And he is the priest representing the word of God or the logos. And Philo says that his thoughts are vast and sublime and self-taught interestingly he's kind of imagined where did Melchizedek get this information about the most high god he argues that he was self-taught again that's not from the bible this is an imagination of a jewish writer one last jewish writer that's worth mentioning is josephus and he writes about Melchizedek too in two of his works uh wars and antiquities and to him uh, Melchizedek isn't so much of a heavenly character like he is in the Qumran scrolls and in philo Uh, what Josephus does is he focuses in on the humanity of this historical Canaanite chief, a righteous king who was the original founder of the city of Salem. And he talks about him as someone who is a priest and imagines that he is the one to build the first temple for God, uh, renamed Salem, and he connects Salem with Jerusalem for the first time, hence what some people have done since then. So when you look at the different ideas that were going around in the ancient world about Melchizedek, um, at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, you basically get um, uh, two two uh, main uh, fields of thought. You get people who were talking about Melchizedek as a historical figure. A Canaanite chief, a priest, a king, the founder of Jerusalem, representative of the Logos. He's an enduring priesthood connected to the Messianic king as a historical uh, figure. But then you get this extra biblical material between the Old and New Testament where the Jewish writers are imagining him as an angel or a divine redeemer, a leader of heavenly armies, uh, a a founder of post-flood priesthood before the people of Israel and so you get these two things that are, are moving around amongst the ideas amongst the people who are going to be reading the book of Hebrews and what that does is it actually helps us to understand why the writer of the Hebrews uses this interesting language in chapter 7 and chapter 8. So when he says that Melchizedek means king of Righteousness he's picking up on the idea that some are saying that he is the king of righteousness or the king of Salem, king of peace. We've just seen how some of the extra biblical writers were using that title for Melchizedek as well. Now, interestingly, where he talks in verse 3 of chapter 7 of being without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest of ever, forever. What we see there is not that the writer of the Hebrews is saying that he doesn't have a mother or a father, but that he's saying that you've heard of this Melchizedek that people are saying doesn't have a father or a mother. That's why he writes that there. Now, the writer of the Hebrews is not the first writer in the New Testament to use this technique. Paul also uses this technique in chapter uh, in 2 Timothy and in 2 Timothy chapter three, verse eight, We hear that um, as Paul is trying to describe what happened to Moses as he left Egypt, he talks about how Moses opposes the magicians. Now, we don't have time to go into that great story today, but basically Moses uh, uses the staff that God gave him and he can make great miracles. And the magicians in the courts of Pharaoh try and copy those um, miracles in in the um, story of the Exodus. But what is interesting is they kept being shown that they don't have any power at all. And Moses is not the one who has the power. He is just following the Most High God who has the power. Now, interestingly, in the Old Testament, there is no use or reference to the names of the magicians in the courts of Pharaoh. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. Now, he's talking about the magicians who opposed Moses in the Exodus, but he uses names to describe them that aren't used in the Bible. And what we think he's doing there is in the extra-biblical material where people are writing commentaries at that time about the Exodus, people were imagining that the magicians were called Janus and Jambres and they probably weren't called that it was just what the jewish writers at the time outside of the bible were calling them so within the colloquialism or within the cultural moment of the time paul actually says oh you know you know that instead of saying you know the the magicians that oppose moses what he's actually saying is you know the magicians that oppose moses who you call Janus and jambres well they oppose the truth that's the point he wanted to make so he's using this known language that the people of the time would have understood. So what I'm trying to illustrate here is it's really important as we come to this passage in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 that we understand that poor, that the writer of the Hebrews rather is writing to a group of people for whom the name Melchizedek has taken on all this stuff. He's this not only this historical figure like he is in Genesis 14 who blesses Abram, he's also been described as all these other things so what paul's saying is you know this guy you've heard called the one without a father and a mother the one who's the heavenly this the one who's this well i'm going to talk to you about him and rather than being like the other commentators who make stuff up i'm actually going to talk about this guy and tell you what the main point of the story is and this is what's so helpful about reading the new testament in its context and in its day because when you understand it like that it makes chapter seven so much more meaningful and chapter 8 also so much more meaningful because not only is he commentating on the uh, people who are saying things outside the bible he also in chapter 17 sorry in chapter 7 verse 17 chapter 7 verse 17 he quotes psalm 110 so it's almost like he says you know this melchizedek guy that you've heard all these things about you know Really helpfully, David narrows us down to help us to look at the main point about this character. Remember Psalm 110. He is called Melchizedek and he is pointing to Jesus. That's the main point. Because there it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So what's being pointed to in Psalm 110 already is that The people of Israel have this sacrificial system where they have high priests and they have to sacrifice every year, but it's not really adequate. It's an old covenant that needs a better hope. And he says that explicitly in verse 19 of chapter 7. Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, gives a better hope and is introduced to us so that we might draw near to God. So this new covenant helps us to draw nearer to God. Now, Jesus is introduced in verse 22 of chapter 7 as this priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with what the word covenant means, we've mentioned it a few times during today's talk, but a covenant is an agreement. So the agreement that God made between his people and himself in the old agreement with Moses from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments is being replaced by a second agreement that is better with a new hope and the reason it's better with a new hope is because jesus himself is god and god himself has become our high priest and as good as aaron was aaron wasn't as good as jesus is and to make that point the writer is saying jesus is more like this other priest melchizedek who predates aaron now why is someone who predates aaron better well because he came first He is a better priest because he is before Aaron. Now, coming back to chapter 8, we read this. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest like Melchizedek who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. This is Jesus who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. And that's a direct reference to the fact that Jesus' tabernacle or his place where he meets with us is set up in heaven rather than just being a copy of heaven, as Aaron made with the tabernacle that he made for the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel served in the sanctuary of that tabernacle and in verse 5 of chapter 8 the writer describes that as a mere copy and shadow of what is in heaven so you can see that jesus is actually building a better place of meeting than the people in the old covenant had in verse 6 it goes on to say but in fact the ministry of jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Can you see how all this stuff we've just gone through is now starting to get really sharp? The covenant of the Old Testament needed to be refreshed every year with the sacrifice of a new animal for the sins of the people. But Jesus, in the penal substitutionary atonement that he achieves for us, is a once and for all superior sacrifice that establishes a superior covenant. In verse 7 of chapter 8, it goes on, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God is declaring there is a need for something new. Verse 13, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So Jesus is saying you need to move from the old covenant to the new covenant. Don't be tempted to go back to that old covenant now last week paul was really helpfully describing to us that we once we can't we can't reject the new covenant of jesus because if we go back to the old covenant then we'll be re-sacrificing jesus again to come back to this new covenant jesus has died once and for all we don't have to go back to the repeating sacrifices anymore so he's actually encouraging the hebrews not to be tempted to go back to their jewish Uh, Ways and put Christianity into their Judaism. Interestingly, in Galatians, Paul has the same argument as the writer of the Hebrews here, that Paul's saying in Galatians, he actually says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you think you can go back to the old Jewish covenant and then put the Christian teaching into that covenant? No, you have to leave it. You can't have a Frankenstein's monster of the old covenant and the new covenant and put them together. The first covenant with its regulations and its worship and its sanctuary, its earthly sanctuary, has gone. The new covenant has replaced it completely. It's exactly the same as what happened to me in 1978. I shouldn't have gone from my old dragster to a hybrid dragster BMX bike. I shouldn't have tried to put the pieces of the new bike into the old bike. It might have been cheaper and easier to do. And it might have been seemingly more within reach but that temptation should have been avoided and I should have waited like my dad said and I should have waited until I could save up for a proper BMX bike and then I would have been able to become a proper BMX bandit. (laughs) Now, what is the relevance for us today? Well, two things I think. First of all, we do need to remind ourselves that even though we are not Jewish, many of us, although some of us who are watching will be, Those of us that aren't Jewish and we are Gentiles, we have to be careful not to think that Judaism is a step towards Christianity. That's one thing. That we don't have to embrace Judaism and then Jesus. And funnily enough, there are actually Christian teachers that are suggesting that Christianity and Judaism are pretty similar today. There's uh, a, a whole new perspective on Paul called the New Perspective, where uh, a thinker in the '70s, again in the '70s, a guy called J.I. Sanders, Sanders was arguing that there's not a lot of difference between Christianity and Christi- and, and Judaism, and the two are pretty similar. But what Paul's saying here in to Timothy is don't let any that we read earlier is don't let anybody trick you into something that's not the truth. The writer of the Hebrews here is saying Judaism with its old covenant has been replaced by Jesus's new covenant. We can't have a mishmash of Ju- Judaism and Christianity. But the second thing we need to remember too is that just as the the Jews would have found it quite confronting to go from the known of the old covenant to the unknown in some ways of the new covenant with Jesus, that they needed to not rely on their ability to apply the 10 commandments to their lives anymore, not be self-righteous in what they were able to achieve through righteousness by works but we need to actually leave that thinking and go towards thinking of grace that through the grace of God that putting our faith in Jesus means that Jesus has done everything that we need to earn our salvation and to also remain saved and yes we do good works yes we do acts of righteousness but those acts of righteousness are to express a new covenant life So we need to actually embrace that new covenant life to the full. And sometimes as Gentiles or non-Jews, I think we are tempted to go back to our past pagan ways before we were a Christian and make a Frankenstein's monster of our culture and our Christianity. Just as the Jews were tempted to have a Jewish Christianity, sometimes we want to have a Christianity that fits in with the culture of the people around us. But remember what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There in Romans 12, you get the same kind of sense as you get in Hebrews chapter 8. We need to move from the old to the new. We need to stop relying on ourselves and our own opportunities for security and rely on Jesus and trusting in his ways Because in chapter 8, verse 6, again, it says, But in fact, the ministry of Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the new covenant of which he is a mediator. He is the mediator of the new covenant. We need to trust in the mediator to lead us in our lives now and into the eternity that we long to embrace. So if Jesus is on his throne, as we heard earlier, if he is ruling then we can take a great deal of comfort knowing that Jesus is ruling during these times of change. I've been incredibly discouraged watching the news this week. Seeing um, Afghanistan implode was heartbreaking. The rise of the numbers in COVID in Sydney and across New South Wales is heartbreaking. And yesterday when I heard there were two cases confirmed in Browarrina, I was really worried for my brothers and sisters in Browarrina. So I rang Isaac last night. And I wanted to finish today's talk with something that Isaac shared with me. Um, within God's providence, the good news is that apparently the two cases from Browarina have addresses in Brewarana but they actually live outside of Browarina. So to Isaac's knowledge at the time of recording, there aren't actually any actual cases of COVID in Brewarana, But we were talking about just how vulnerable his community is because he was saying to me a lot of Aboriginal people are kind of worried about getting uh, the vaccine. And he was thinking that his community is particularly vulnerable to COVID. But what he did say to me was, you know, brother, he said, Stuart, he said, I think what Jesus is doing right now is he's teaching us to find peace in him. As things seem to be out of control right now, we really need to draw close to Jesus because he's the one who's in control. Jesus is our high priest. He is still in control And my encouragement to ask my application is that as we embrace the new, we need to throw out the old clothes of trying to rely on whatever it was we used to rely on. Keep ourselves safe, sure. Stay at home, sure. Get vaccinated, sure. But in the midst of all of that, are we drawing nearer to Jesus? Are we drawing nearer to him in prayer? Are we spending time with him every day so that we may understand that he is the mediator of a superior covenant that will last forever that despite feeling unsafe because of all these external realities that we live with he is keeping us safe in eternity and i'm so encouraged that he will never ever let us down he'll never ever leave us he will he will be the one constant in this world to change so please be encouraged today to lean into jesus Build your relationship with him as he is building your relationship with you. And please be encouraged not to try and fit him into a pre-existing thought system that you might have felt comfortable with. But be prepared to let things go. And trust in Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, the writer of the Hebrews in chapter uh, 8, verse 8, Writes these things that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them to the land out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach thy neighbor to say to another, know the Lord, because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd actually help us to remember that we do know you. Heavenly Father, we know you because we know Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will write your laws on our minds and our hearts through your holy spirit that you'll give us a new nature of the new covenant that will mean that we can live not just for ourselves but for you and we pray heavenly father in the security we receive for you we may share that security with others and help our neighbors so that we might help them to know that you are god and you are in charge this we pray in jesus
0: name amen amen thank you very much stewey Appreciate you taking the time to prepare that. But it sounds like was a lot of research required for it. That's so a bit of research, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you got ripped off by a used bike salesman. I so. did. <laughs> yes, I did get ripped off by a used <laughs> bike salesman.
6: I, f- I often wondered about that kid. I wonder what sort of career he had in the future. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, it's on Netflix, BMX Bandits. Is it? Yeah, it's on Netflix
6: now. Uh, have you
0: seen the movie?
1: No, I haven't, but I saw it and thought of you and, and was like, we have to watch it.
0: Together. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, m- I, mean, I remember the time when they go down a water slide uh, with their bikes, I remember that bit. It's got Nicole Kidman and someone else. Yeah, I think it, it might
6: even be a first
0: movie. I think. Yeah, she, cause really? She
1: had, this is what I know about the movie. She has red curly hair.
0: Yeah, she does. Yeah.
1: Like really curly.
0: How do you know so much about movies? But. Stu told me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, back to the um, point at hand. My I, question was that as Christians now we're obviously in the New Covenant, and Katie, I'd love you to jump in on this. Uh, how do we get tricked into something that's not the truth? Um, these days it's a bit different to what the Hebrews experience. So do you want to have a crack at that first, Katie?
1: Um, we were actually talking about this in our Berea tutorial um, and Stu shared with us an um, article about this, This um, pretty much it was heresy, but as we were reading through these different um, things that they were unpacking, what was the article called, Stu?
6: Oh, the one about the... Um which one do you mean? Yeah. Which, which week were you talking about?
1: The two weeks
4: ago.
6: Yeah, casting my mind back, casting. <laughs> yeah, I do. I remember. Yeah, so it was people who were actually talking about what we are talking about in the sermon yeah. today who were trying to talk about the fact that some people find penal substitutionary atonement a bit violent. Yeah. Oh, that seems a bit aggressive. Let's have a non-violent atonement. Yeah. But we were talking in Berea about, uh, you know, you need to embrace what the Bible teaches rather than how we mm. feel God should be mm. um, yeah,
1: but it was when I was reading it, I just th- a thought that came to my mind is it's so it would be so easy for particularly impressionable um, young Christians who are probably still with are having milk um, <laughs> to believe those things and to um, yeah, it's so easy identify with identify it, with identify you know. it and. Uh, because there's so many voices telling you different things but Mm. you just have to look at the bible as the source but people who are quite impressionable it would be so easy for that Mm. to be misconstrued and come up with this frankenstein covenant that's (laughs) not what it says in the bible is the core Mm. um yeah it's just why we always make sure that we say have your bible open when we Mm. are doing the sermon because it can be if you're not constantly questioning, you can easily come up with a Frankenstein covenant that's not true to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's super, it's super, um, we need to be super alert because it can be, you can fall into it very, very easily, I think, because of our culture and so many voices mm. telling you what to believe.
0: Yeah, and I, I suppose with the internet, there's all, uh, even more voices. <laughs> but, um, I thought it was interesting how you, you referred, Stu, to those other um Texts like the old, uh, sorry, Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, what was it? Uh, two Enoch, two Enoch, Philo, Philo and Josephus. Yeah. How do um, how do we if someone wants to bring up those texts as an example of whether the Bible's true or not? What would we? What would be a, a, a good way to talk about that with someone? Do you think?
6: Mm. Yeah, I think the easy way to do that is uh, from time to time people look at extra stuff that's not actually in our bibles uh that christians in previous generations didn't put into the canon of the scriptures um as apparently there's a gospel of thomas that goes around sometimes and people go oh that gives us really interesting insights into god that's not in the bible did they leave that out because they didn't want us to know this bit or whatever but the rule of thumb that you usually use is that the bible uh interprets itself so that if something is written that actually contradicts the bible then that's not not the word of god so um we we have two enoch that comes up with all these crazy theories about where melchizedek came from that aren't actually related to anything else in the bible and actually in some cases contradict what the bible says so that's why that material is left out uh that that book of two enoch is called uh part of what's called the intertestamental writings Mm -hmm. and they have value because they show you what the people of the time are thinking and Really helpfully, the writer of the Hebrews is helping people to discern what to listen to and what not to listen to in verse 3 of chapter 7 when he says, oh, you know, Melchizedek's without a father or mother. People are saying he's without a father or mother. Now, his father and mother aren't described in the Old Testament, so he's he's right about, you know, that, but he would have had a father and mother. But other people have kind of modified that. So what he's doing is he's drawing people in. He's like, oh, you've heard Melchizedek is without a father or mother. He doesn't have a genealogy in, in the Old Testament. All the people in the Old Testament are part of the genealogy. Melchizedek's not. He's not got a, a lineage. Um, he goes without beginning of days or end of life, partly because the Bible doesn't say when he was born and when he died because he's not in a genealogy. But he's also picking up on that 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 uh, you know that extra biblical stuff where people are making it up oh well because he's not got a genealogy in genesis maybe he doesn't have a mother and father at all and maybe he never died and never but only god has no beginning and no end so melchizedek is, is is a type that the writer is saying i want you to know how to understand this guy in the context of the whole picture of the bible so when you hear things that are different to the whole story of the bible you can dismiss them as not God's word but you can go oh that's interesting because um there we go there's reference in 2 Timothy and also in Hebrews 7 to stuff that's outside of the bible.
0: Mm, yeah that's cool. I I mean both the things that you were saying was like talking about how make sure that we're not trying to fit into the culture we're actually like knowing that Jesus has done everything that that is required and not adding anything to Jesus. Um I thought it was cool Stewie that you were saying um our good actions express that new covenant life that Jesus gives us by dying on the cross really quick uh, answers how do we best express that new covenant life you go first Katie
1: loving God and loving others
0: that's a good one (laughs) you want to throw one out there Stu yeah I I think that's good Katie I
6: I think um, I think it's good to talk about it actually like I think it's good to talk to each other about how do we express this Christian life together because Uh, i think in australia particularly i don't know what it's like for the people who are overseas but in australia um often your religion and your politics aren't something that you talk about in polite society and it's often unfortunately sometimes as christians we don't have enough experience of sharing how we live our christian life with each other and i think this passage is a really good opportunity to share what does it mean for you to be a christian what does it mean for you to draw near to jesus to, to feel permission to talk about it. So I suppose this is a bit of a permission-giving sermon on that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you for your sermons. Stu. And uh, out with the old, in with the new guys. And we'll be back with um, Grace, who's going to do the prayers for us.
4: so... Christ takes the blood of Jesus.
7: West Ride, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are all powerful and all loving and that we can come to you in prayer. Father, you know that it's been such a huge week around the world and locally and we pray that we would continue to entrust all things into your sovereign hands. We pray for the COVID cases that continue to rise Father, please keep people safe. Uh, we pray that vaccinations would be able to continue. And Lord, would you please uh, help the situation to be managed well. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would especially sustain those in health professions who are working so hard to keep everyone safe and well. We pray too for those whose jobs have been impacted uh, by COVID And we pray that you will continue to provide for them and help them to keep trusting in you. Lord, we also pray for our leaders, uh, both in government and our church leaders. Um, Father, they are looking after so many people and have so many decisions to make. Uh, So help us to continue to respect our leaders, uh, to encourage them, Uh, and to not complain or grumble, um, but to know that you've put them in place to care for us. Uh, We pray that you'd give them wise decision making and clarity and we pray that you continue to sustain them and give them courage and strength as they serve others. Father, we pray for all of us um, who are experiencing lockdown fatigue Uh, We pray that you would give each of us patience and gentleness and kindness, even though we're feeling weary and stressed. We pray for good resilience, that we do good self-care so that we can better care for others as well. Help us to sit in the difficulty um, and at the same time help us to know that we can cry out to you uh, whilst also coming to you in thanks and to count the blessings that you've given us. Uh, Father, we pray especially uh, for parents who are looking after their kids as well as working and and are homeschooling. Uh, We pray for extra patience uh, and we pray that for families living together uh, in more intense situations, would you please help um, them to love one another well. And we pray for single people who are living on their own and might be experiencing great loneliness. Uh, We pray that uh, friends and family uh, would make a call, would reach out. And Lord, please help us as a church to be caring for one another and taking initiative to reach out to one another. Lord, please give us wisdom and grace to know what's most helpful in caring for one another and to actively take steps to do so lord we are heartbroken by the situation in afghanistan Um, lord we see so much evil uh, and we know that uh, it causes not only us grief but you most of all father we pray that you would change the hearts of people change the hearts of the taliban we know that often we think it's absurd for them to become followers of christ or for even their hearts to be softened, or for them to stop doing evil. But we know too that you ask us to pray for our enemies, uh, and so if we do this, trusting that you are even more powerful. Lord, well, we pray that evil would be restrained and that justice might be done. We pray particularly for vulnerable people. Would you please protect them? And Lord, for your people, particularly to keep persevering in their faith and keep trusting in you, even despite the crazy hardship. And finally, Lord, we know that um, all during this time, um, there's so many people around the world who are feeling the pain and the suffering um, and the sort of emptiness. And we pray that that emptiness would be filled by them coming to know Jesus during this time because we know that Jesus is the ultimate source of hope and that as Christians, we have eternity to look forward to and courage to live day by day. Lord, please use us as your people, uh, even when we're feeling weak and fragile, but we know we are jars of clay with treasures stored within. And even though we might be feeling brittle and we might crack easily, uh, we remember that each crack is also an opportunity for the treasure that is the good news of Jesus to shine through even more. So please, Lord, would you be glorified in all of this? In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on Saturday night. Thank you to Anna, thank you to Katie for joining us. Um, Guys, keep making sure you're using the traffic light system. Red, red's at the top, isn't it? Red orange and then green and um yeah but the traffic light goes red orange green but then i was going to say the green is for how you like you're going really well the amp is going for you know not so well and red means i need to talk to someone so keep using that um in your conversations and in your texts also make sure you check out any of the other podcasts that we're doing we're really excited to bring out some more content um the shock absorber is there The Chip Lunch podcast is there. Tim Bilharts, our children's pastor, is on the LACE episode, so check that out. Anna has a podcast too, Word on the Street. street. It's coming out every week. What day is it, sorry? Every Monday. Every Monday. Make sure you subscribe to that. And uh, for now, we're going to wrap it up with, uh, do you remember what you guys do? Do you remember? One way. One One way. way.